0: Welcome to Collaborating, the podcast series of the Collaborative for Business Development. And welcome back to Collaborating, the podcast that focuses on all things revenue, best and next practices in sales, marketing, and eliminating organizational obstacles to success. So just in time for the holidays... And for your New Year's resolution setting, we offer words of advice from collaborative principal Bev Flaxington on how to shift difficult work relationships toward success, also known as how you can deal with difficult people. This is from a speech Bev gave to the PR News Boot Camp in Washington, D.C. recently. And if you'd like to see a nine minute or so video clip of this same talk, go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash collaborative one or see the link on the show notes to this episode, episode 23 at www.the-collaborative.com forward slash blog. In this podcast, you'll learn the five secrets to dealing with difficult people, which, no surprise, mirrors the advice of Bev's best selling book, Understanding Other People The Five Secrets of Human Behavior. Now, this is an abridged version of Bev's speech. And if you're interested in having Bev talk on this subject to your firm or group, please contact us at 888 580 9473 or email us at podcast at the com. So, with no further delay, let's learn how to shift those difficult work relationships towards success.
1: How many people in this room either have now or have ever had somebody that you work with that you would consider to be difficult? Okay, let's see, so I didn't see every hand. How many people have ever had a boss that you consider to be difficult? a family member that you consider to be difficult. (laughs) I mean, these people are everywhere. So what we're going to talk about today is how to deal with these difficult people. And the truth of the matter is you are in a people business. You're trying to get the attention of people. You're reporting on people. You're trying to get people interested in what you're doing. This is a people business. But you know what? I say this to technology companies <laughs> and, software, and software and air, uh, air travel. You, know, you name it. it. Really, fundamentally, it is about how much do I understand about people and how can I get along with people? So I was asked to teach a graduate class in 2008 called Dealing with Difficult People. And when you teach, oftentimes they have some kind of a syllabus that's already been created or some material to give you. And they basically said to me, "We don't have anything. You have to make up. How do you deal with difficult people?" So I said, "Oh, this is great. I had had very senior corporate jobs all my life. I've been a coach, a consultant, I'm a hypnotherapist, working with people for decades. So I said, "This is a great opportunity to take everything that I've learned." and be able to put it in in a chunk form so people can understand it. And I I believe it was Mike Long was talking earlier about the idea as writers, is how we organize information. So that's what I wanted to do. So I thought about all the different aspects of what I've learned around communication, understanding people, getting along with people. And ultimately what I did was come up with the five secrets. So before we go into the secrets, I want to do my disclaimer. You know, any of you that work for companies where you write all this great marketing material and at the bottom there's a disclaimer? The truth of the matter is, when we think about difficult people, what we want to do is change that person that's difficult. I mean, somebody throw out a word to me. How do you know when somebody's difficult? What would you say about somebody who's a difficult person?
0: Unresponsive.
1: Unresponsive. Combative. Combative. Argumentative. Argumentative. Negative. Negative. Arrogant, Arrogant, passive, did I get a rude from anybody? (laughs) So here's the thing though, what we don't realize is most people that we're dealing with out there, they're difficult people and it's actually coming from somewhere else. They're looking for attention, they don't know a better way to get it. I always think of my daughter when she was younger, she used to throw (laughs) tantrums. And I could never figure out how to get her to stop. And then one day she came to me and she said, she was a pretty advanced nine-year-old, she was nine years old, and she said, you know, the reason I throw these tantrums all the time is because sometimes I don't feel like I'm getting enough attention from you. And I don't know how else to get that attention. And so really negative behavior, but a positive reason behind it. We're stressed. How many people here are working in an organization, whether it's your agency, the company you work for, There is just not, there are not enough hours in the day. Not enough people to do the work that's being asked of you. We are under extreme stress and most of us don't know how to handle it. Lack of personal management skills, most people have not had the opportunity that PR News is giving you to sit through this session today. So they don't know some of these secrets. Misunderstandings, we're going to talk about that in a minute, and confusion. I'm gonna ask you as we go through this to think about the fact that our real problem is actually not those difficult people and not getting them to stop being arrogant, stop being argumentative, stop being rude. Our real problem is we wanna learn how to stop being triggered by them and reacting in ways that's not beneficial to us. So this is really about taking back our power taking back our control and making different choices. Secret number one, I call this, it's all about me. What does that really mean? What that really means is that what what, what we're unaware of is that as we look out at the world, we have in front of us filters that we've developed over time that come from our experiences, what we've been taught is right or wrong, how to treat people, the way that we think about things. And so what happens is we tend to look at other people and we will immediately label them. We'll put some kind of a judgment on them. So I see a person that is always coming into the office and strolls down the hall like he owns the place. And my filter tells me those kinds of people are full of themselves. They're rude and egocentric. Immediately, I've never even met this person. First time he's ever been in my office. But we'll tend to make an assumption about somebody, label them, judge them. And then it limits our ability to deal with them because we think we understand what they're all about. So we have to watch, and you'll hear me talk about becoming more aware. We tend to have... This person is, fill in the blank, that person is, fill in the blank, ways of looking at things. So in the PR field, if I went around and said to you, journalists are what? Let's play the name game. You're going to have a way that you describe journals. You're going to put all of them probably into the same bucket. Even though we know we've dealt with lots of different people, they're not all the same. So watching our filters and understanding how our filters impact us is very important. So first secret says, try to think about the why question. Is this person really rude and arrogant or are they trying to get attention? Are they under stress? Is there something else that might be going on that I can understand about them that would help me to be able to get more power, more confidence in dealing with them and not put up that wall, put up that filter. So stepping into their shoes. Secret number two, I call this behavioral styles come between us. If there is one thing that I've learned in my career that has been the most powerful information, it is around the concept of behavioral style. Behavioral style is all about how we communicate and how we operate on different scales of behavior. Now the research shows that we buy from people we like. And you know who we like? (coughs) We like people that are like us. Because it makes it a lot easier for us to deal with them, to communicate with them if they're like me. So give you a quick primer on behavioral style. But I want to underscore how important it is, so I'm going to ask a quiz first. But if you were going back to your office tomorrow morning, and your boss or your colleague walks in, and they walk down the hall, and they look you up and down with a sneer on their face, what's your interpretation? What's he mad at me about? What did I do now? So we don't realize that we're reading body language, we're reading tone all the time. So I believe that this is at the root of a lot of our conflicts, a lot of our disagreements, and a lot of our inability to get along with one another. And this impacts us on teams, boss-to-employee communication when we're trying to get the journalists to respond, the clients to respond. So I'll give you a quick primer on this. This is based – anybody here ever run a DISC profile? So this is based on research by a guy named William Moulton Marston. He was the inventor of the lie detector. He was the creator of Wonder Woman. There's four aspects of behavior. Problems, people, pace, and procedures. D, which stands for dominance, is about how I handle problems and challenges. 18% of the population is very strong on this scale. This is their most prominent behavioral style. These are folks who are argumentative, results oriented, get to the point, bottom line me, the emotion that they have is anger. So they will get, challenge you, take you on, uh, cut you off at the knees. Well, if you're not that style and you deal with somebody like that, you get pretty intimidated by that. You want that person to chill a little bit. Second one, the I, this is the influencing scale. This is the people scale. 28% 28% of the population highest on the scale. These are people people. They're outgoing, they're sociable, they like to engage, they actually get their energy by being around other people, friendly, they smile, they talk a lot, but they like to verbalize. They, their quote is, this is fun, because as long as they're enjoying the experience, life is good." But if you're not like that, you find that person just a little bit too chatty, and you don't think they need to use so many words to tell you something that could be said in a lot less. The S scale, now this is actually 40% of the population is highest on this scale. These are folks who are very logical, very process-oriented, non-emotional. They won't show you do they like something, do they not like something. Um, I talk to rooms of financial advisors a lot, a lot of them very high on the scale. You won't get a smile out of the room. Because they are very low-key, non-emotional, and you can't read them. Now, they feel like if you're popping all over the place and talking with your hands and trying to get them engaged, they want you to just get away from them. (laughs) Calm down a little bit. 14% 14% of the population is core C. This is all about rules, procedures, quality control. So think about this dynamic in an organization. You have somebody who wants to do it by the book. But people who are not strong on this scale, they're like the rabble-rousers. They're the creative people trying to make things up, do things differently. And it gets very offensive for the person that's opposite of that. So you have paces and approach. You have the D fast paced, talk fast, think fast, move fast, very task oriented. The I, talk fast, with their hands, very verbose, but people oriented. The S, much calmer, much slower in pace, caring about the people, but in a much quieter, behind the scenes kind of way. And then the C folks, very slow to make a decision, want to analyze, can sometimes come across as a little bit picky, critical, because they see the things that need to be fixed. And it's very much a task orientation. So when you're in a situation with someone and you find that you're having some conflict in communication, stop what you're doing a little bit and pay attention to the style of the person that you're dealing with. You know, in sales, we teach salespeople, we call it match and modify. But you don't want to imitate. You know, if the person crosses their legs, you don't cross your legs. But if that person's tone and pace is very slow, and you happen to be somebody who's more of an upbeat, you want to slow it down. So the more that you can, and when you're dealing with clients, with customers, with journalists, You really want to pay attention to the style of the person on the other side because we get heard a lot more easily when we communicate with someone in their style. Secret number three, your values speak more loudly than you do. So behavioral style is about what we do. You can see as somebody upbeat and outgoing or very analytical, values are why we do what we do. So oftentimes what happens is we try to influence people to our value set, the way I see it as important. In the meantime, I'm talking to this other person and they don't see it the same way. So we this is when we really, really dislike people, is when the value set is different. This is based on research by a person named Edward Spranger. He wrote a book in the early 1900s. And what he found is that there's <laughs> six core values that The entire population shares, but we share them in a different order of importance. Most of us on a day-to-day basis, we're driven by our top two values. Sometimes we'll dip into our third value. How this works though is if my top two are your bottom two, not only do we not see eye to eye on things, but I can actually feel offended by what you think to be important. Let me run through what the six of them are and you may be able to figure out where you fit. Utilitarian, this is what we call the ROI value, return on investment. If I'm gonna invest my time, my money, my energy, show me a return on that investment. So oftentimes, you think about the way salespeople sell things, they're trying to show what's the value of it, what's the return. But not everybody has that as a top value. Second one, individualistic. We used to call this the political value. This is sometimes called the ego value. This says if I'm going to attach my name, my reputation to something, I wanna make sure that it's gonna go well, and that I'm gonna get some credit for it. So if you don't have this value, sometimes you see this as uh, concerned too much about me, too egocentric. But the individualistic sees it as my name matters to me. The third one is traditional. We used to call it religious. This is about rules for living. Most people that have this value are very high, very aligned rather, with a certain religion. And it can be Buddhism, Catholicism, and anything in between. But they run their life based on the rules of that religion and that's like their guiding principles. Helps them to think about what's right and wrong and what kind of choices they should make. Again, if that's not your value, though, you can feel like, oh, that person is pushing their viewpoint on me. The fourth one, theoretical. We sometimes call this the smart person's value. This is about love of learning. So theoreticals, maybe they're reading three or four books at one time. They may watch the Discovery Channel just because it's fun. Learn, learn, learn. Now, again, if you're not theoretical, you might feel like, this person is giving me too much research, too much background, too much information, why do I care about this? Fifth one, aesthetic. This is about love of beauty in the world. So this is being out in nature, uh, artwork, you know, the colors that are there. People who are high aesthetic really care a lot about their surroundings. And again, I had a client that was about about to hire a very senior woman, and she started to negotiate for a window in her office. And to him, he didn't want to hire her because what is she worrying about something insignificant as that? But she was number one aesthetic. Very important to be able to see what's outside. But if that's not your value, you see that as negative. And the last one is social. So we call this sometimes the do good value. These are people who care a lot about others, and sometimes at the expense of myself. I'd rather take care of other people and not worry so much about me social environments, charitable, that type of thing. Again, I've sat in meetings where you have a high social who cares a lot about how is this policy gonna impact our employees? What are our customers gonna think about this? Somebody who's not high social feels like, we're running a business here, we can't worry about that. So that's how this all plays out. So you wanna try to engage, when you have somebody you're trying to influence, you wanna try to engage them a little bit and get them to talk about things so that you can listen for How do they describe what they do and what they care about? Because the more you can position what you're trying to influence them with in their value set, the more they're gonna care about it and the more they're gonna listen to you. Secret number four, I call this don't assume I know what you mean. This is all about the fact that context is everything. And this is, you know, as writers, as people trying to communicate something that is so clear to you. It can be very dangerous because we can make assumptions. Think about words that we use. A word that means something to me could mean something entirely different to someone else. So we really have to watch our assumptions. So I love this cartoon. You know, this is gobbledygook. And I asked you for (laughs) mumbo-jumbo. So this is how this works. But My favorite story, I was doing a radio interview one time and this woman said, I want to illustrate how this assumption thing works. I I came up with a list for my husband of 20 things that I needed him to go get me on a Saturday afternoon. And so I put them on a list and I numbered the list. That makes sense, right? Anybody have any idea what his assumption was? (laughs) The men can comment. Yeah. So this guy spends his whole Saturday going out. It's not just number 15 bag of flour, it's 15 bags of flour. And he comes home and he's unloading the car and he's got 20 bags of 20 pound dog food. And she's furious at him. And he's like, oh my gosh, look at this work that I did for you. But this is how assumptions play out. This is such a dangerous area for us. So you've got to think about with your audience, what do they know? What do they need to know? What kind of assumptions might be built in? And this is where we want to make sure we share what's necessary for them to understand. You know, in marketing we talk about it as the so what, right? Don't just tell me this information, help me understand it. So what, give me context for it make it valuable to me. You know, adult learning principles say that as we get older, the only way we really understand new materials is if we can connect it to something that makes sense to us, an experience that we've had. That's what we want to think about in terms of trying to communicate with people. So you know everybody's favorite radio station? WIIFM, you have that here in DC? What's in it for me? That's what you want to think in terms of what is in it for this person that you're talking to, how can you help them understand it? And then the last one, I'll do a quick wrap up here, so hopefully we have time for some questions. Secret number five, in the book I call this, I'm okay, you're most definitely not okay. But the thought behind it really is that, You know, most of us haven't learned a lot of this information. We haven't learned good communication skills. There's like an assumption that because along with learning to walk, you learn to talk, that that means you learn how to communicate with other people. But the truth of the matter is most of us don't. I have kids in grammar school, middle school, high school, and I'm still waiting for somebody to come along and teach them some good communication skills. How do you understand other people? We don't learn this. So, one of the things that you want to think about in neuro linguistic programming, it's a part of hypnosis, we talk about assume positive intent. And so, again, if we go back to where I started, difficult people, they're stressed, they are looking for attention, they don't have the skills that they need. So, some of this is trying to figure out I need a response from this person, I need to influence this person, I need to work with this person in a way that's gonna be productive for both of us. If I continue to respond in my rote way, this person's rude, I don't like the way they communicate, their values are wrong, I'm not gonna be able to get heard. So we have to practice what I call being an interested observer. I would just ask all of you, take one of these things that I've touched on here, and just watch. The difficult person that you had in your mind when you raised your hand, when you go back and watch this person, is it a behavioral issue? Is it a values disconnect? Are there assumptions that are happening? Is it a filter that you might have about that type of person? Just become interested and learn a little bit more about your own responses and what could be happening with that person on the other side. Here's the problem. When you get rid of the difficult person, guess what happens? They're like mushrooms. There's going to be another one somewhere. So what we don't want to have happen is we don't want to let the difficult people define our response and define how we're going to operate. We want to be the ones who keep the power, are in control, and are able to get what we need to get done in our workday with whatever it is that our effort might be. So watch your own triggers. Be aware of those things that set you off. Practice being an interested observer so that you can understand what is it that triggers me? Why do I respond that way? And give yourself some options in trying different things with some of these difficult people. You might find, as I can honestly say I have over the years, some of the folks who looked the most difficult on the face of it ended up being the biggest champions when you can understand them and you can figure out a way to be able to work more effectively with them.
0: And, well, there you have it. Surefire ways to shift difficult work relationships towards success in 2013 and beyond. And again, for more information on this program or any of our workshops or talks that both Beverly and I and others at The Collaborative do, or having Bev speak to your group or business on this topic, Contact us at 888-580-9473 or email at podcast at the-collaborative.com. And of course, we'd love to hear your feedback on this or any collaborating podcast. Again, 888-580-9473 or email podcast at the-collaborative.com. And until next time, keep on collaborating. Thank you